Very glad to have everybody back again this morning. We are studying the book of 2 Corinthians, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab those, turn to chapter 3, we'll get ready to get into that in just a second. Listen, let me just say to you this morning that something very obvious, I'm good at that, um, serving the Lord and serving others in the name of the Lord, it's such a privilege. And it is. It is such a joy. It really is. When you think about that through Christian ministry, you can influence others for eternity. It is without question the single most significant thing you could be involved in your entire life. There's no question about it. Nevertheless, when we do that, what we find is, is that well, it's not without its challenges, right? I mean, we do have a spiritual enemy, and, and we are going to experience some level of suffering when we engage in that. And that actually was the theme of chapter number one of the book of 2 Corinthians, if you were with us for that. Now, when the troubles and trials, tribulations, difficulties come at us as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when when they come at us from outside the church attacking us, I would say we can handle that. You know why? Because, well, when the world is ganging up on us, what do we do? We all band together. We're united. And we stand. That's what we do. I, I, I actually think this may be one Positive side effect of the current events we're in right now. It does seem as though the entire world system is against churches meeting and doing what they're supposed to do. And you know what it's doing? It's bringing the church together. That's what it's doing. You know what's harder? What's harder is when we live in a time of peace and prosperity. Because there's just something about man that he needs to fight somebody. And if nobody's fighting us from the outside, we're going to fight each other from the inside. And when the fighting and attacks come from within the body, well, that's, that's when it really hurts. That's when it's particularly difficult. That actually is the subject that we're getting into in chapter number three today. That's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. We've seen already that 2 Corinthians is a very personal letter for the Apostle Paul. He's frequently defending himself against personal attacks. People didn't like the message he had to share, and, well, his message, of course, was God's Word. And as a result, what do they do? They default to these ad hominem attacks against his person and against his character. Well, if that happened to him, you shouldn't be surprised if anytime you take a stand for the Lord, anytime you try and serve the Lord, anytime you want to represent his truth, anytime you stand against sin and wickedness, well, you'll face opposition too. And you know what? Frequently, sadly enough, that opposition at least begins with criticism. Criticism. Criticism is actually the main theme that we see in chapter number three as we're walking through this book that teaches us all about the minister and all about the ministry and each chapter dealing with a different particular subject. And so as we get into chapter 3, we're going to be in the first six verses this morning. The title I've given it is Handling Criticism Biblically. And that's what Paul begins to explain to us in these first six verses. If you just glance with me at the first verse, it says this, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Paul jumps right in and he, he points out, he's like, look, seriously, do, do we really need these letters, these epistles of commendation either to you or from you? He interestingly says in verse number one, do we begin again to commend ourselves because this isn't the first time this has had to happen with Paul and with the Corinthians? You can take the time and look back yourselves, but for example, you could go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He's 
defending his apostleship. He's defending his ministry the entire time. And so as he's doing that, again, this personal, individual aspect of this letter is because it deals with personal and individual ministry activity. And the more that you get involved in that, well, the more that the opposition will ramp up again and again until it's over. He uses the word commend. If by any chance you're unfamiliar with commend, it's just a shorter version of recommend. We would say recommend today. It's actually used nine different times in this book of 2 Corinthians, the most, of course, as we've seen in so many cases, of any usage of any book in the Bible. So a commendation is some sort of a recognition or an approval, right? Now, it shouldn't surprise any of you. I think everybody's fairly aware, if you spend any time in the Word of God, that in the ministry of Jesus Christ, we don't approve ourselves, right? I mean, we'll see this when we get to chapter number 10, but let's just look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse number 12, where Paul says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. We're not even going to, we're not going to deal with people who go about recommending and approving themselves. We don't count ourselves among people who do that, and we're not going to be a part of that. It says, but they, those who commend themselves, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, well, they're not wise. It's not hard, y'all, to look around the room, to look around society, and to find somebody worse than you. It's not hard. You don't want to mention it, but there's probably not that hard to find somebody better than you too. But we like finding the guy worse than us because we feel better about ourselves then. And that's what people were doing in the ministry, right? Well, you could jump down to verse number 18 in that same chapter, and Paul concludes that chapter saying, For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And that's what we want, right? We want God's approval. We want want to do whatever it takes for God to be the one to approve of us and our ministry, right? So in your notes, I put this statement. We gain approval before God by investing in the Word of God. That's how we gain approval before God. In fact, the word approval is used a lot of places in the Bible, but there's really only one specific place, and that's 2 Timothy 2.15, that tells us exactly what we need to do in order to be approved unto God, and that's study to show yourself approved unto God. you got to study the Word of God to show yourself approved unto God. It's interesting, I I came across Proverbs 16 this week, and I want to share with you verse number 7 where it says this, when a man's ways please the Lord. In other words, if you're doing the things that please God, so in this context, studying the word of God, rightly dividing it, right? It says, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Well, I mean, real life experience probably teaches you that it seems like it doesn't always work that way, does it? I mean, you can't conclude that because some enemy is against you, you're not pleasing the Lord. That's not always the case, right? So if you are, though, pleasing the Lord, if you are doing the things that he commends, do you really care if man doesn't? I mean, really, now now think about it, because some people might say no in church, but really you do kind of care. Some people do kind of care, but you shouldn't. In other words, so what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when we're doing what we know to do to serve the Lord, and yet it does continue to seem like we're just being criticized for it? I mean, face it. We're just nice people. We want to be liked, right? I mean, we want to help others. We're not trying to ruin anybody's fun. But the truth of God's word is truth. It's truth, and, and it does confront sin, which is negative. I get that. But it confronts sin with the goal that people understand that forgiveness is available in the person of Jesus Christ, and by surrendering your life to Him, you receive that forgiveness and the free gift of eternal life, which is good news, right? So the negative leads the way into the good. In fact, the great news, it's a 
pure motive. Our mission, our work is of pure motive. But in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking specifically not about gaining God's approval. He's talking about man's approval. These epistles of commendation. People seem to need a recommendation in order to be acceptable. Think in your mind a job interview. But the problem is, like Jesus said in Luke 4, 24, that a prophet doesn't receive any honor in his own country. So you stand up and do your thing amongst the people that know you best, and frequently they just kind of discount everything that you have to say because they're like, I know that guy. I grew up with him when he was a nothing, and now he thinks he's something. And Jesus said, look, man, a prophet doesn't have any honor in his own place. So what we're going to see today is the next statement in your notes as we conclude this introduction, and that's this. We gain approval before men by investing in the souls of men. And that's what we're going to see in these six verses as we come through here. By the way, that makes sense, doesn't it? We gain approval before God by investing in the Word of God, and we gain approval before men by investing in the souls of men, the only two eternal things, the Word of God and the souls of men. And oh, by the way, it shouldn't surprise you that we gain approval before God by dealing with the thing that is most precious to God, His very Word. We gain approval before men by dealing with the things that's most precious to men, their very souls. So that's what we'll see as we get into this thing. So follow along. I read verse 1. We'll read it again and we'll go through verse 6. Chapter number 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. There's a lot to learn in this little passage. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to be our teacher, and then we'll jump into it. So Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I do pray that you would just help us to see exactly what it is you want us to understand. And Lord, I, I get it that when we take a stand for you, I mean, they, they made fun of you, they persecuted you, they, they, they did evil things to you, and well, we're not greater than you are, so we should expect some of that stuff to happen to us. But at the same time, we don't really like it. Uh, we need to have your wisdom. We need to understand how to be able to respond. And so I pray that you'd take these verses of Scripture. I pray that you would take this God-inspired message, and you would just stamp it in our hearts. I pray that we would receive it as it is in truth, the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive it by faith so that it can effectually work in us to be able to stand and to be able to continue to do the work that you've called us to do, regardless of public opinion, whether it be positive or negative. Either way, Lord, all we really desire is to be pleasing in your sight. That's really what we desire, and, and to be useful. So I pray that you'd take this time and you'd sharpen the edge of our sword and you'd help us to be able to go forward by faith. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. How do we handle criticism? Well, the first way is with confirmed ministry. Confirmed is your blank. Confirmed ministry. Verses 2 and 3. Now, people are kind of funny, like we mentioned before. When they don't like what you say, they want to know on whose authority you're saying it. In other words, if we can discredit the source, we can discredit the message. I don't like what you're saying. Where exactly are you coming from? Based on, based on whose authority are you saying what it is you're saying? And, and this is kind of the way it works in life, right? Same thing happened to Jesus in John chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught so Jesus is declaring the word of God in the temple of God. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? In other words, in our schools. How is it possible that this guy has the ability to even say any of this stuff? 
He didn't go to school where we went to school. He's not a part of our club. He doesn't do what we do. He hasn't been where we've been. How's this possible? Jesus always has the right answer, doesn't he? Verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And check it out. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. You might be confused if you're not actively involved in God's work, applying his will. But if you are, this won't be hard. You'll know. It's that easy. In other words, what he's saying is the confirmation of the teaching is going to be associated with actually doing God's will, see? And so Paul's answer to the Corinthians and their issue of asking for some letter of recommendation comes in a couple of different ways. Letter A is a living revelation. In other words, your changed life. A living revelation, your changed life. It says, ye are our epistle. You want an epistle of commendation? You're the epistle of commendation. Written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Oh, by the way, when he says of all men, he means all men, including even unsaved men. So since Christian ministry is spiritual activity and it's communicating a spiritual message to the spirit and soul of man... Paul refers to the fact that our lives in Christ are spiritual epistles. They're spiritual letters. And that shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, God uses this kind of picture throughout. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5, he says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices all of which are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So your spiritual letters, your spiritual living stones, you're a, a living, breathing building, your living, breathing spiritual sacrifices. And all of these things are acceptable to God. You want a letter of recommendation? God approves that. That's what he approves. You're the spiritual Letters written by God for all men to read. Think about that for a second. That's awesome. Your life should be a testimony of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Do you realize, Christian, that your life Maybe the only Bible some people ever read. Maybe the only Bible. They may never pick up a Bible. They may never show up in a church. But they know you. You are the living epistle. See? And he says it's, it's known and read of all men. That means your life should communicate the gospel. Your life should communicate the transformation. Your life should communicate to unsaved man. Well, there's several ways, actually. And so in your notes, I put, how does God introduce the gospel to unsaved man? Well, he starts with three specific methods. Number one, we'll call it's creation. He communicates via creation. Psalm 19, first three verses, the heavens declare the glory of God. They're out there talking. I don't know if you're listening, but they're talking. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. They're out there talking. They don't need translators. They communicate to everybody. God reveals his very glory, the fact that he exists through nature. It's his creation. The second way is through man's conscience. We see that in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 14. For when the Gentiles, meaning the unsaved people, when the Gentiles which have not the law, the, the word of God, the law of Moses, when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't do all these things. When they do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. 
which show the work of the law. Here it is, written in their hearts how their conscience also bearing witness. He's talking. I don't know if they're listening, but he's talking. The heavens are declaring. The conscience is bearing witness. The voice is out there. And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. God begins to introduce the fact that all men can know who he is through creation and through conscience. And then here now in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we see that he uses Christians. He uses Christians. I could take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. Very convicting verses. Where Paul says to the Corinthians, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Don't let yourself get sucked into bad friendship relationships. Don't get sucked into the, to the, the whirlwind that is sinful behavior that others around you can draw you into. Evil communications will corrupt your bad manners. This is the story of Lot, right? And then he goes on in verse 34 and says to the Christians, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. In other words, hey, Christian, realize your life is the living epistle. Your life is the spiritual letter. Your life is communicating something. So quit getting drawn into the life of sin and live a holy, righteous life because there are people who have not the knowledge of God and they need to get it. And God expects to use your life together with creation and conscience to prick their hearts and conscience to seek more understanding. The life of a Christian is used by God to communicate God's truth. For example, in the area of sanctification, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, and sin not. Sanctification. Peter says it this way, Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't play favorites. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So man, live a holy life, work righteousness, have a sanctified life, sin not. That's acceptable to God. Then you're the kind of Christian he can use to communicate the message. Romans 12, 1, you know this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's not just for super Christians. That's your reasonable service. That's what everybody's supposed to do. How else? Through sanctification. How else? Through suffering. 1 Peter 2.20, what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? I mean, if you blew it and you got to suffer for it, well, I mean, you don't really get applause for that, do you? But if, when you do well, you minister the word of God, you live a holy life, and then you suffer for it. And then you take it patiently. Now this is acceptable with God. This is acceptable with God. This is the life that he can use to communicate that living epistle. Because whenever you live a life that's righteous and you're willing to endure suffering wrongfully for it, they could say whatever they want to you. They can deflect any way they want. The world's taking notice. Because God said so. The world has taken notice. God uses such a life to communicate to them. All three of these in this list, creation, conscience, Christians, they really do come under the category of what we call general revelation. God reveals some general principles of truth about himself through those ways. All three of those ways then lead to any individual who's interested as a result of the general revelation getting what we call special or specific revelation, which is God's written word, without which no man can be saved. 
So you recognize God is. You recognize you're wrong. You recognize some things just from your own conscience. You recognize by looking at other Christians, man, they got something I don't have. Right? The baptism testimonies, phenomenal, right? Well, thank God for Tia. Her testimony was so strong, right? Fantastic. Okay, well, that's what we're talking about. But ultimately, they're not getting saved until they get the Word of God. That's God's specific revelation. But God uses all of these to get people ready for that. So Paul's addressing the Corinthians and he says, you're looking for a letter or a recommendation from me? How about you look in the mirror? How about your changed life, Corinthian Christian? That's all the letter or recommendation I need. In other words, the fact that you're now saved and able to ask such a thing, well, that's because my ministry to you. And that really leads us to the second point in verse number three, living results. That's others changed lives. It just looks at the same thing from the other side of the coin, I guess. Living results, others changed lives. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us. See, it's very pragmatic. You look at the end product and use that to evaluate the process. The changed lives of the Corinthian believers is confirmation that God is working. But it's also confirmation that he's using Paul, ministered by us, he said. In other words, whatever it was he was teaching, I mean, God was using it. We have the results. That it can't be off, right? It worked. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets. You see, if, if people are accusing Paul, we don't like what you're saying, in a sense they're saying you're not actually saying the right thing. You're a false prophet. Beware of false prophets, Jesus said, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Here's what he says, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. By their fruits you shall know them. Paul said, you want a letter of recommendation about us? Don't even talk to me about me. Look at yourselves. What's the fruit of my ministry? You're the fruit of my ministry. Must have done something right. Listen, there's a lot of people out there that like to argue about a lot of things. You ever notice? Have you been breathing the last few months? But especially theology. People love religion and politics, man. I mean, just let her go. Okay, especially theology. But, but the guy who has fruit legitimate, spiritual, life-changing fruit of his ministry. That's the letter of commendation from Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That spiritual letter of recommendation is not written with ink on paper. It's not engraven into tables of stone. It's written with the Spirit of God, and it's written on your hearts. Because that's where the Spirit of God works, in your hearts. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21-22. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit, where? In our hearts. Ezekiel 36, looking forward to this new covenant, and verse 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Paul refers to it in Romans 2.29, but he's a Jew which is one inwardly. See, we're into the church age now where there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's only saved and unsaved. So the Jews representing the people of God in the New Testament context of Romans, well, it only matters if you're one inwardly. 
And circumcision, well, it's not about the physical outward one that the Jews used to have to keep under Abraham, but it's that of the heart, in the spirit. Not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but it's of God. It's of God. So our fruitful ministry in other people's lives, that's all the letter of recommendation any of us need, right? And there's several different ways that we can see that through the Scriptures. I just wanted to give you a couple of them to think about it. One is in the area of support. And when I say support, I'm talking about financial support. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18. But I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, Philippian church, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. God approves of, God commends the work of the Philippian church as they were sending their financial aid, their gifts, their financial support to Paul the missionary. They were partners in Paul's missionary outreach. They were partaking in the ministry to reach others eternally for Christ. The Philippians get fruit of rewards from the Corinthians being saved because they were partners. They gave to that. It was acceptable to God. Another way is through supplications and prayers, 1 Timothy 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. You see, this idea of praying for the world, praying for people to be saved, praying for our government leaders, pray for them to be saved, but pray that they make decisions now more than ever to allow the church to continue to be the church so that the church can continue to reach more people. So our ministry in prayer, our ministry in supplications, well, that's a... That's an activity of outreach. Why do we do that? You see, if you're praying for your government leaders just so that you can stay home and rest comfortably and never serve the Lord, you kind of got the wrong motive. It's so that the church can live this life, right? This quiet and peaceable life. But it's not just a quiet and peaceable life. It's not just, you know, chilling out on the back 40 enjoying yourself. It's in all godliness and honesty. It's practicing the spiritual disciplines. So pray for people. See, God confirms our ministry via the results. They're living results. All right, how else do we handle criticism? Number two, we'll move on. Um, with capable ministry. Capable ministry. It goes into verse 4 and it says, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. That's not, you know, it's not the language we typically use. He says, Such trust have we. Well, that word trust just means confidence. This is the confidence we have to, before God. Okay? In fact, that very word, trust, translated five other times in the Bible, every other time it's translated confidence. Okay? It means assurance. It's confidence. In other words, we're confident before God because of Jesus Christ. That means that we're confident in who we are and we're confident in what we do because of Jesus Christ, right? So we're going to break this down into a couple of different ways. Why is it that we can be confident in those things? Well, the first one is, letter A, because we have a sufficient ministry. We have a sufficient, <coughs> excuse me, ministry. Now it goes on in verse 5 and it says, Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We're not sufficient of ourselves. It says sufficient. Sufficient literally just means if something's sufficient, it's enough. It's adequate. It's enough. It's sufficient, right? And clearly we're not sufficient of ourselves. Of course we understand that. Right? We can go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and there's so many places. I just grabbed a couple of them, 26, 29. Paul says this for you. See your calling, brethren, 
how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things which are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. At the end of the day, let me ask you something. Are you, don't answer because, you know, I don't want to trick you and embarrass you. Do you think that you're just incredibly talented? I mean, I'm not trying to make you say no. If you, I mean, you might be, some of you guys are awesome. Some of you guys can do a lot of stuff. But uh, how do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. I mean, the Lord should have saved me. I mean, he wants me on his team. I'm just saying. I've met people like that. If there's some, if there's some of that in you, just a little, um, that, that probably hinders your ability to actually be an effective minister. And the Lord doesn't use that anyway because at the end of the day, it's a spiritual ministry and he's the one that's going to do it, right? And if he's the one that's going to do it, well, you're not doing it. And so it doesn't say none. He doesn't say that there's everybody, everybody God uses otherwise is a big loser. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying there's not many wise men after the flesh. There's not many mighty. There's not many noble. God takes this list of people. He, he delights in using foolish, weak, base, despised, nothings. Hallelujah. <laughs> and he does it so that he gets the glory. And the world's like, man. Oh, and by the way, that is your testimony. God used even you. God used even me. Bunch of nothings. And it draws people to him. If God could do that, I want in on that. See? See how he works? If you have that kind of a high and mighty view of yourself because you've worked really hard and you're really skillful and you're really good at stuff. And by the way, be good at what you do. That's fine. It's all about attitude. Because Paul had all that going on for him too, but he had the right attitude. Right? See that in Philippians 3, starting verse 3. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and here's the most important part, have no confidence in the flesh, none. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man, other man, thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, let me just tell you something. I could trust more in my flesh than you can trust in yours. And he goes on and gives his pedigree, which, by the way, in that day, quite a pedigree. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You see, I had all kind of things going for me. I had all the pedigree you could ever dream of. But in my pursuit of Christ, it's worse than nothing. It's the stuff you got to clean up and throw away. So when the Lord really wants to get something done, he'll remind us like he did in the Old Testament with Zechariah, verse, chapter 4 and verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. I don't need your might and I don't need your power. I'll take care of it. So your sufficiency is not of you, in case you didn't already know that. It is of God. And by the way, specifically in verse number 5, y'all should just know this verse. You should highlight this verse. You should memorize this verse. Make a plaque and hang it in your wall. Our sufficiencies of God, y'all. Our sufficiencies of God. Our sufficiency is of God. Find yourself depressed from time to time find yourself struggling with self-esteem, 
Sometimes you think you're nothing. Sometimes you think you've got nothing to offer. Sometimes you think it's all crumbling around you and life is useless and a waste of time and why am I even here? There are people that think that. Christian people should never think that. Because your sufficiencies of God. Your sufficiencies of God. You know, the Bible says that we're accepted in the Beloved. Accepted in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. He blessed us with all spiritual blessings, not just some of them. He's chosen us in him that would be holy and without blame before him. allowed us to be adopted into the family by him, by Jesus Christ. And we're accepted. You got, you got self problems? You got esteem problems? Why? God accepts you just the way you are. There's no reason to be, no reason to worry. Who cares what other people think? By the way, accepted in the beloved, the beloved is Jesus Christ. You're accepted as long as you're in Jesus Christ, you're accepted. If you're not in Jesus Christ, then, well, let's, let's fix that. Let's get in Jesus Christ. When we're in him, we're accepted. When God sees you, Christian, he sees Jesus. Man, that's good news. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. And you know what? Jesus Christ is enough. He's sufficient. That's all you need. That's why Paul can say in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And, and I do want to point out why that King James Bible is just right on this verse. Because it says, I can do all things through Christ, not who strengtheneth me, like a lot of other translations the Bible use. It says which. Which. Why does it say which? Because he's not saying, he's not trying to emphasize the fact that it's Christ that strengthens him at this point of his conversation. He's trying to say the thing that strengthens him is the fact that he can do all things through Christ. That principle is the thing which strengthens him. And I say that because some of you find yourself insecure and feeling insufficient. And you have no strength. Because somehow you don't understand that you can do all things through Christ. Well, of course, Christ is the everything. But no, you can do all things through him. And that fact is the fact which strengthens you that's important it's an important distinction you're capable to do ministry because god makes you sufficient but not only that do you have a sufficient ministry you have a spirited ministry letter b spirited ministry verse number six who also hath made us able ministers in the new testament not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter killeth but the spirit giveth life so not only does God make you sufficient, but number one, God makes you able. He makes you able. You're able. God has made us able ministers. Able. Proven. Prepared. Trained. Equipped. Not based on our abilities, right? Paul used this type of verbiage frequently. Ephesians 3, 7. Whereof I was made a minister. Because I'm so awesome. No. Why? According to the gift of the grace of God given unto me 
by the effectual working of His power. I was made a minister because He gave it to me as a gift. That's why I was made a minister. Colossians 1.25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, for you to fulfill the word of God. He made me a minister. He gave me the grace and the gift and the ability to do it so that Paul could serve others in Jesus' name. So God made you able by providing all you need. Well, these are all connected, of course. He provides all you need. That means you're sufficient, right? What does he provide? He provided the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the Church of God. That's who he provided. And, and that's important because Jesus Christ, when he left this earth physically, he fully God, body, soul, and spirit, replaced himself body, soul, and spirit. Right? The Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the Church of God. So... These little sub-points I have in your notes. Without the Spirit, you're not saved. You're not saved without the Spirit of God, right? Romans 8 9 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Don't give me this idea that you could be saved and at some point later after your salvation you get the Holy Spirit. No, not in the Bible. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not even saved. And you know what? If you don't have the word, you can't see. Because thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you don't have the word of God, you can't even see. And if you don't have the church of God, you're not stable. Because if you don't have feet, you can't walk. And if you don't have hands, you can't work. And if you don't have ears, you can't hear. And we're all a body. And we're in this thing together. So once he provided those necessary things... You know what he did then? He ordained you. He made it official. John 15, 16, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you. You're all ordained ministers. Congratulations. That you should go and bring forth fruit. Now go do that. By the way, you were thinking for a quick second there, this is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. That you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So get up, Christian. Go. Go bring. Wait, not just yet. Go and bring forth fruit. Just a second. Listen, with all those qualifications, what's stopping you? I mean, really, what's stopping you? So God makes you able. But the Spirit, the Spirit makes you active. He makes you active. He made us able ministers of the New Testament. Now, when, when we say New Testament, I don't want you just to think of the page that comes between Malachi 4 and Matthew 1. When we're talking about the New Testament, we're talking about the New Covenant. And we're talking about the New Covenant, which is the covenant of grace. And we're talking about that idea that the new dispensation, the new covenant of grace that's ushered in, in contrast to the old covenant of law and the law of Moses. And we'll see that more next week as we get into verse 7 and going down as those things are compared, but... But the idea is, is that now, the church, you're a part of the spiritual kingdom of God. And that ministry is no longer simply the letter of the law. It's now the spirit of the law. Right? So everybody today, you know, with some of the current challenges that we face every single day, you know what they are, I don't need to say them. There's the letter of the law. And some people are really big on that. And there's the spirit of the law. And some people are really big on that. And some of those people really don't like the other guy. In Christian ministry, he's saying, look, this is a spiritual ministry. And there's a spirit that's associated with this. And it's because now the law of God and the kingdom of God, according to Luke 17, 21, is within you. It's within you, right? So the letter that he's referring to literally is the law of Moses. And like I said, we'll see that more next week. But while the Bible says in Psalm 19, 7 that the law of the Lord is perfect, and it says in Romans 7, 12 that it's holy and that it's just, 
the law of Moses only brought condemnation. It didn't bring life. In fact, the letter, the law alone, and that's the idea, it brings guilt. And by extension, it brings death. And that's why it says the letter killeth, but the Spirit brings life. Hebrews 7.19 says it this way, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope. The law did do that. It brought in the better hope. Grace. Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. The bringing hope of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. So it's the Spirit that giveth life, right? Romans 7, 5, and 6, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we're delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now I want you Bible students to notice that the word spirit is written with a small s. And there are times when the word spirit is written with a capital S. And when it's written with a capital S, it's referring to the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And when it's written with a small s, it's not. So he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about your human spirit. That's what he's talking about. Okay? And he does that on purpose because spirit, small s, is used. Because now you are made new under a new covenant. And God has changed you radically, and now your new life in Christ allows you to serve God as he always desired, even from the Old Testament, and they seemingly weren't able to do it, with all their heart. That's what he means. The Spirit brings life when you do it with all your heart. So let me remind you, Deuteronomy 4.29 but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Seek him, love him, serve him. Whatever you do, friend, do it with all your heart. It's the spirit within you that gives life to your ministry. So I thought you might need a sentence to kind of get your mind around it. This is the last one in your notes. Well, it's not the last one in the main part. It says your impassioned representation of the truth of the gospel is what energizes the hearer. We're not talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural work that of course he does. What we're talking is, is we're talking about not serving in the oldness of the letter. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts anymore. Now it's a living reality that comes forth in your life with a level of attitude and focus and enthusiasm that causes people who see you do it to realize that I think he just might mean it. I think she might really believe that. She's kind of into it. Serving with the Spirit, small s. You see, it's the combination of God's Word, which is the truth, in you, truthfully, truly, sincerely, wholeheartedly, that's really powerful. That causes people to sit up and take notice. That causes people to realize, man, there must be something to this thing. I mean, I've heard about the Jesus thing before, you know. I went to Catholic school. I went to this. I went to that. My neighbor asked me one time. But man, I've never met anybody like you before. See, it's powerful. It's ministry. The Spirit makes you active, lively. So practically speaking, if you stand for God, if you stand for his word and his truth and against error, you're going to be criticized. I wish it wasn't true. And while 
we may never be recognized or appreciated or validated in this world. Our value, right, comes from God. And it's confirmed when we bear fruit, spiritual fruit that remains. What should we do? How should we handle criticism biblically? Well, I put it this way. Ignore the words and do the work. Just ignore the words and just keep your head down. Keep forging ahead. Keep working. Live a holy life. Share the word of God with your words. Get it out. Let people know what is going on in eternity. We may not know what's going on here today and tomorrow, but we can know what's going on in eternity because we have God's word to tell us. Leverage whatever God gave you. Maybe you're of high talented value. Maybe you're of less talented value. It doesn't matter. Don't count on that. Count on the Lord. Serve him with all your heart. Because you know why? Not just because it's right, not because it's fun. It's all of those things. Let me give you another reason. The judgment seat of Christ is coming. And it's coming soon, y'all. That judgment seat of Christ is, is like money in the bank. I mean, it's just... It's just there. 1 Corinthians 13, i got to finish with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, excuse me, verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, the day of the Lord. The day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So this is the judgment of the Christian's works. This is not the judgment of your sins. They're, every single Christian who's ever been saved is going to be saved. You're eternally secure. There's, you couldn't go to hell if you wanted to. <laughs> but if you don't work and if you don't serve him and all the things that you do in the body after you've been saved are just flesh, they're wood, hay, and stubble, they'll all be burned up. You'll make it. You know, it'd be like that cartoon thing, you know, it's all just smoke coming off of you, you know, nothing left, but, I mean, you'll make it. It's not the way you want to go in. You want some rewards. You know why you want them? Because Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5, gives that snapshot before the throne, and at the end of the day, you got those 4 and 20 elders, and they cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus Christ. It's the offering of thanksgiving to the Savior who did everything for you and you worked and served Him to earn crowns that you then willingly surrender and give them back to Him. You don't want to be the guy in the room who's like... <laughs> you don't want to be that guy. Man, it's coming. And it's coming soon. And maybe you find yourself here in this today, and maybe you think, you know, I, I've, been, I've been kind of a sluggard. I've been a little lazy. I haven't really been active. I haven't really been doing it. But I know I'm saved. You know what? You can't do anything about yesterday. You know what? You can do something today. You sure can. You, you say, I'm feeling down. I just don't feel good about myself. Well, maybe God can use you. That's probably the way you should feel about yourself. But understand what God thinks of you. He sees you. He sees Jesus. You're sufficient. Your sufficiencies of God. You ain't got to answer to nobody for that. Just do what he's asked you to do. Because at the end of the day, really, I mean, just look around this world, y'all. Who are you really trying to please? I mean, think about it. Do you really care? Let's stand for the Lord. That's what he wants the church to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, I pray that you would change our hearts and our minds. I pray that you would help us to grasp this truth and to never be the same, that we would recognize that while criticism will come, while there will be those who will have something to say and not like what we're saying and, and say whatever they want to say, it doesn't even matter. At the end of the day, Lord, we just, well, first and foremost, are, are so thankful that you have saved us and that you would choose to use us and that you would desire 
that we continue to be your representatives and that you would use our lives, even our lives, Lord. If nobody else in the room knows, I know and you know what my life really is. Just a big mess. But that's not what you see. You see the blood of Christ. And you make me sufficient. And because of that, Lord, I can stand right back up and I can march forward. And if it gets hard, well, it gets hard. But it's only for a period, just a brief period of time. And Lord, you're going to be coming to the rescue just, I mean, just around the corner. Lord, I pray that more people, like we saw today, get baptized. Would just surrender and come to know you in these dark days. That they would recognize that there isn't any more time to play games with you. Now's the time to surrender. If there's anybody in this room that needs to make that decision, that even right now they would just surrender their hearts and cry out to you for forgiveness of their sins. And Lord, for the rest of us that say that know you, that we would just count the cost and realize, man, we need to run to the finish line because it's just right there. And we need to be all about representing you in word and deed. And Lord, may you allow fruit abound to our account by your grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.